Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and in this episode, we'll examine the ongoing evolution of value-based care, the impact of economic disruption on independent physicians and health systems, potential policy changes, and more to give you a thoughtful, detailed overview of the healthcare industry. Here with me today to discuss these innovations and challenges is Sean Morris, CEO of Privia Health. A seasoned industry leader, Sean drives initiatives to meet providers where they are on the transition to value by building strategic partnerships and better aligning reimbursements with quality, affordability, patient satisfaction, and provider well-being. From Medicare Advantage to physician governance, small practices to huge health systems, our conversation explores the most urgent issues and exciting trends at play today. And with that, let's start the show. Hey, Sean, welcome back to The Break Room. It's, uh, it's always a joy having you, you here as a guest, and I look forward to hearing your perspective on value-based care, policy trends, uh, strategies to support patients, independent physicians, health systems, uh, and more. But first, I'd like to hear your 30,000-foot view uh, of the industry. We're exiting the COVID-19 pandemic while entering an economic downturn. The new normal has stabilized, but also revealed cracks in the foundation. If you had to assign a letter grade to the healthcare landscape right now, what would it be? Well, thanks, Morgan. Always enjoy doing this. Yeah, gosh, a letter grade. I'm a horrible teacher. Um, tend to be pretty optimistic. And as you know, we, we sit in a different seat on the bus on this journey, and we feel really good about where the world is headed and what we're doing and helping improve the well-being of providers and the, the focus on that and you know, aligning incentives from whoever's paying for health care, you know, all the way to, you know, to those folks out there working hard, delivering health care. And we see that, you know, we have to help both kind of facilitate that. And I've always said physicians and providers and care centers are our customer and the beneficiaries of all that great work, that partnership that we've, we've structured over the last, gosh, eight or nine years now is patients and high quality. You know, our goal is to affect cost and make health care more affordable. And we all know that people are, you know, there's groups of people that sit out there that struggle to pay for their health care. We know there's people that don't even have health care. Kind of crazy to think we live in a country like we live and there's people that don't have health care or they don't have the access to health care because they can't afford it. You know, access is is king, you know, whether it's fee for service or value based care. And we should be doing all we can do to facilitate having a relationship and seeing your physician or, or provider and building that relationship. And the only way you do that is access. And so the letter grade, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty glass half full. We're by no means we're an A, and I don't know if we'll get to an A by the time I, um, I'm you know out of this industry and maybe out of this world. So, but uh, yeah, I'd say overall, maybe we're trending to a B. I hope a lot of good policies are out there. You know, the last two administrations are absolutely focused on value-based care. Health equity is a real issue. I think it's very, very complicated. That's not something that's going to be solved over the next 12, 24, 36 months. 
But, you know, you got to have your head in the right place and you got to measure these things. And if nothing else, you've got to at least bring it to the forefront before you can even remotely solve for those things. But there's there's real headwinds for providers, a lot of headwinds, you know, especially on the health system side, starting to see that, you know, wage growth, you mentioned labor cost. We all heard, you know, the labor issues in the in the nursing you know field for especially for the health systems. Volumes are down, which we could argue is that. I think it probably is an argument. Some people would say, well, that's a good thing. We've been trying to do that for years, but we just need to make sure it's in the right buckets. You know, things are shifting from inpatient to outpatient, which that's been happening over the years. And we've talked about consolidations in the past. And I think the DOJ is all over that from a vertical perspective in, in, in that industry. But I think you'll see a lot of partnerships. And we're starting to see that at Privia. I mean, we've done Ohio Health. We've done Navant here recently, opened two markets with to really high quality name brand, large health systems, and it follows on the heels of all the success we had at Health First. And but um, I think you know that's forthcoming. I mean, physicians every day, especially those community docs, they're running their business, and they need partners like us. And we, you know, we tend to grow in times of, of pressure. Think about COVID. And those gosh, we had oddly, but we had great years of growth, and I think inflation's going to create some of that and the new startups out there that if, if they're not funded, you know, you talk about digital health and all those startups. And we just thank goodness we're a profitable company. We've been focused on that for years and executing and, you know, with no debt, a lot of cash on the balance sheet. And I know our physicians appreciate that. Our partners do. And, you know, it, it just, if you're not funded and you're not making money, it's that's, there's going to be a tough couple of years coming up and, and then all this rolls downstream to that provider payer relationship and who starts pushing who. And we've always taken approach to Sheena Morgan that got to align that up and down. Whoever's paying for healthcare should benefit that provider. If they're driving rewards and lowering costs of high quality, they absolutely should benefit from that. And, and you know, an organization such as ourselves and our business model allows us to be a benefactor of that because we're so involved in those. So, and then, you know, Policy drives stuff. Policy tends to be a, you know, kind of a, it takes a while for that to take hold. I mean, the government works in long cycles and you know, it's about chipping away and getting something right versus you know, us as operators and want things to happen really quickly. And unfortunately, and I guess that's, you know, that's just not how they, they view the world and they've got to kind of do things in a normal pace. So I know I covered a lot of ground there for you, but I'm excited about what's coming up in 23. And um, I think we should have a, a great year like we've had the, the last few. So you raised so many great points there around uh, patient access, economic trends and health systems that I'd like to revisit and, and have you expand on in just a minute. But I'd first like to hear your perspective on independent physicians. These doctors face several challenges, working with payers, satisfying patients' evolving expectations, and navigating consolidation, to name just a few. So what tools uh, and strategies are independent doctors using to to thrive uh, amid this complex, difficult landscape? You know, it's... um. It's interesting. Um, every market's completely unique because the payer mix is different. The the uh, the geography is different. The penetration of value based care is you know unique to 
every single market. So to answer your question, that you know, it's it really depends on where that physician, that care center, that that medical group is on this journey. And what's the wonderful thing about Privia? We we have groups that are they cover the entire spectrum. And what's interesting, you may be doing really, really well in Medicare Advantage, but healthcare is so complex. There's other aspects of your business that they need improving on. But, you know, they got to keep polishing that stone. And and so the just the way we bring the doctors together and and, the, and how they share information and share what the best practices and successes they're having, it's almost after every one of those meetings, you know, the, a doctor somewhere will reach out and say, hey, yeah, I, I need to talk. We Can we speak more with you know, those physicians and operation consultants that are with working with those doctors to learn more about success in MSSP or success in, you know, lab or what whatever it may be. Some answer they, a partnership they've struck with a health system or it just, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, really it gets down to helping them put a business plan together. What do they want to accomplish over three to five years? What do they need to do that? It's not just always capital. There's talent, there's relationships with payers there, you know, there's, you know, what do they want the practice to grow to? Do they need real estate? Do they, there's just so many things that could make them successful. And then, like I said, like what we have to do, prioritize that into an action plan that you can measure and make sure you, the people that are focused around and all agree upon that these are the milestones they want to reach. So it's, um, and then, you know, and then just kind of take it off in chunks. You can, there's, there's a hundred things we could all be doing to improve healthcare. I, I bet there's a thousand things. I have no idea. But as an organization, as a medical group, as an individual, let's face it, you can probably only absorb three to five things. I've always always believed that. And then you just chip away and you get better and you kind of move things move up and you learn a lot by going through that process. And if you have a process to do that, you, you'll, you'll be a better individual. You'll be a better physician leader versus just trying to tackle everything at once. We all know when you do that, you get probably not a whole lot done. So, you know, long-winded answer, but I think it's understanding where they are on this journey, getting them with the right talent and putting a plan together to kind of chip away at that, to get to some of the end goals and then just keep adding things to it to improve the organization. That idea of partnering, uh, of recognizing unique starting points and challenges of aligning on an action plan, and making progress in a few key areas dovetails nicely to my next question, uh, which is around health systems. Health systems also are are facing several challenges, uh, such as a growing workforce shortage and and low patient volumes, uh, according to a recent Kaufman Hall report. That, That report also noted, quote, Healthcare leaders must navigate short-term challenges that continue to pressure revenue and expenses, while also adapting organizational strategy to match larger transformations in the way care is delivered. With that in mind, what innovative strategies might health systems adopt to align with those short-term challenges and larger transformations? You know, it's, 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 I think they're in an interesting, 
unfortunate. I mean, it's just a lot of headwinds um, that that industry overall faces. And you mentioned them. The labor cost is nothing new to them over the last 12, 16, 18 months. And I don't think that's evenly solved. You've, you had a, some people exit the labor pool and you had contract labor, all these things that kind of kind of came up that's created that. You've got you know this whole shift from inpatient to outpatient has been going on for years. You know, and then COVID, most systems were, oh, it's the right use of the word, but through government aid, through whatever, they did okay, you know, but all that stopped. And, and they still got these headwinds and, you know, some of the most well-run systems, public or not-for-profit, are, are faced with these. And, you know, it's, it's all front page news. And then and some of these are just, you, know, you see numbers like, you know, losing a billion dollars a year. It's just in operating I just, I don't know, I guess I, I knew I, I, when we did our arrangement with Health First and it's worked so well, it's, um, I said, there's something here. We all thought there was something here. We weren't out looking to try to do a health system deal, you know, four years ago. And I, I, I tell investors, it's every health system is not for us. You know, that has to work for all parties or it's not a good arrangement. And we've done some of that. But every health system is not going to be a client because I do think they're a client. And the doctors within the health system employed or affiliated are our customer. I mean, physicians and providers and those care centers and those clinicians and those care, that's who our customer is. Relieve the burden, help them, you know, provide better services to their patients. And if they improve the value, they should be rewarded appropriately. And that we believe that here. So the health systems, I think, you know, for years they've bought a lot of practices. Now there's pressure on the balance sheets of these big systems for for all the reasons we talked about. You know, and, and some of these are uh, great groups, and, but I'm sure they're very costly. I think some of the health systems we've spoken with, you know, they got a great asset in their physician group and they want to continue to run that group. And But they need, they're looking for, a partner and they look at Privia and they say, okay, so you guys really understand physicians, not that we don't, but you understand them in a different way. They are your customer. You, if you don't purchase the practices, very interesting. That's most systems over the years have some, some version of of buying the doctor, turning them into an employee that can work sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. Ours is we want to truly be a partner. We're not going to write you a check. We're not going to give you a bunch of stock. The solution works. And we've got, you know, going on 4,000 out there that, that, that are proving that. And our attrition is very low and our NPS scores are industry leading. So, you know, that tells you that the well-being is being improved. And But kind of back to the health systems, they say, you don't buy a doctor, you don't employ a doctor, but you align with them. You, you you help move them to value-based arrangements, thereby, you know, for lack of a word, improving in financial terms, the yield on the patient, why quality goes up to that patient. And, uh, and it, it may not be they want to blow up their, you know, their medical group, but we all know there's always a bunch of physicians in the community that are never going to work for the hospital because that's just, that, you know, that's just their mindset. But if we can come in, forge a partnership, build a premium medical group with some of those independents and help also in some, whatever the, the client's looking for, the system's looking for to bring their employed doctors along. And it could go from converting them to our tech stack and them joining premium medical group all the way to, you know, something else. So 
I think that's where the industry is. We're really excited about it. And like you said, we've, we've announced a couple of partnerships with some really high quality, you know, institutions just like Health First out there that are, and people are really kind of, they're really interested in what we're doing. Absolutely. That alignment is a, a crucial component of success, especially when it comes to value-based care. On that note, it seems that every year value-based care makes progress while also running into obstacles, uh, some new, some old. But what is your outlook on the state of value-based care in 2023? And what progress or obstacles might health systems and independent physicians see? You know, CMS is kind of leading the charge in value-based care. I mean, uh, which, you know, 10 years ago, you would have never said that, or at least I wouldn't have. I, you know, Medicare Advantage has existed under three different names for 30 years, and MSSP came into play, let's call it a decade ago, and they continue to get a lot of programs out there running. This administration has whittled them down. They're really high on MSSP. It's one of the few, they say, that has worked and saved the taxpayers' money. You know, they'll continue to work in, on Medicare Advantage. It's a program that the consumer, that the senior loves it. You know, they're, they're always going to be learning from one program to the other and bringing some of those ideas in and out. That's just like we talked about earlier. It, it's a, you know, the, I'd say you know, from a value-based care, so CMS is definitely leading the charge. We get very relative, good, timely information on our on the beneficiaries through CMS that have enrolled. We have the top ACO savings rate of any ACO in the country of over 40,000 lives. And very proud of that. We've, you know, our physicians work diligently with their care teams and us alongside them to, to make that happen. But um, and, and I where I'm headed is CMS has come out and said over the last administration, hey, you know, we're going to have every Medicare beneficiary in a, in a value-based care plan by the year 2030. And that's not changed. From one administration is yeah, what I kind of chuckle is we probably couldn't have two different administrations, you know, or the last two probably think differently about almost everything. But you know what? That is one thing that's consistent. So, um, so they're leading the charge. Seniors, there's more seniors becoming Medicare eligible every day and has been for a few years now, you know, so it leads itself to, you know, kind of 50% of the patients out there being in a government program. So you have to take note. You, if you're looking down the road as an executive that runs a group or a doctor, physician executive, or a health system executive, you're like, I have to learn to do this. I have core competencies. I probably need a partner to help me if I'm going to get there. And when it when practices and systems, when there's the value-based care continues to kind of be a larger part over you know two, three two or three year cycles, it starts changing the commercial payers. Not, and I don't mean in a commercial sense of a patient. I mean payers outside of the federal government and the state governments. They really start, you know, they they these concepts come into play, and it comes to organizations such as us you know, working very closely with payers and kind of working through an aligned relationship. And in just the last you know, couple of years, we've, you know, it's just remarkable. Some of those um, non-government payers, the, the, the relationship we have with them are uniquely different. You know, you're always going to debate. You're always going to have disagreements. You're not going to agree on everything. But, but generally speaking, 
we're all aligned and our results show that we're lowering total cost of care while improving the quality. And as a payer of healthcare, that's what you're looking for. So I just think the heavy influence of CMS is going to continue to do that. And I'll always say never at the pace we all want it. But you know what? It's um, We just got to keep chugging along and making a difference. And I think companies like Privia and inspired doctors and physician leaders, they're all trying to, you know, and, and even, you know, these forward leaning health systems that are, that know that's the future in the next, you know, five years or a decade, you know, they got a lot of work to do. We all have a lot of work to do to kind of keep that rolling. And if you're, you have to be, begin to instill some of these principles and, you know, align incentives and change payment comps and, have physician organizations and governance models and the technology, all that has to start coming together. And Morgan, as you know, none of that happens overnight, but it gets down to, you know, everybody kind of believing in it, getting the right alignment of all the parties involved. And, and then when you have differences, you kind of work through. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, um, you, you know, our goal is obviously improve the well-being of our, our partners. And, you know, the benefactors of that will be the patients. You raise a great point there, uh, and, and one that's very easy to forget. With all of value-based care's logistical minutia and high-level, long-term policy shifts, it's important to remember that, ultimately, it's all for the benefit of patients. And that calls to mind a saying of yours, uh, and, and that is, we're all patients. Over the next year, how might policies around patient care evolve? I, I don't, no doubt there's going to be lots of discussions around health equity. Um, this administration has put that stake in the ground, you know, and that's a good thing, it, but you know, that, that takes administration cycles. I mean, that's not just a, a Biden thing. That's going to take a while. You know, I think we'll see some changes in Medicare Advantage. We've been hearing, you know, a lot about raft cycling and the, the, how, you know, should that change and should it not? And if it should, and I think there's some changes forthcoming in that. And I've always believed that's why it's important to have a strong compliance program. That's why it's important to to do all those things as a, a good organization should have. And it's tough for his standalone doctors to kind of do some of that. And they need organizations, you know, like a privy to kind of help them along through that, make sure they're doing the right audits, make sure they're you know, unknowingly not out of bounds. You, you know, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen using that example. And if there's changes to be made, let's do them in a in the proper manner and timely where organizations can, you know, that's been compliant and really wants to do the right thing where they can make sure they can continue to do that, change with the times. You know what? And if there's an organization that's not, you know, and they're out there doing something in a fraudulently manner, they need to be, you know, they need to be dealt with. So, but it gets back to learning from one program to the next, learning what works. There's always unintended consequences when you're changing programs, regardless if it's government or commercial or just life generally. So it's, you know, looking at what the results were, you know, what were you trying to accomplish, changing accordingly and, you know, not doing it in such a drastic manner because, you know what, whatever you change to is probably not going to be exactly what you want anyway. So just kind of, like we said, that continuous improvement to make, you know, something proper without deconstructing a program that you've put using Medicare Advantage 30 years into because um, there's a lot of Americans that benefit from it 
and they like the program and it's been very helpful. I would even say to programs like MSSP and commercial, there's a lot of providers that have, you know, that have learned from that program and they, they institute all those value-based principles downstream into others. And the halo effect of that's also a good thing, you know, for the patient, if we can, you know, kind of improve quality at the, and lower the cost, that that's what we're all here to do. Wonderfully said, Sean, that, that really captures the sentiment uh, about the value of reminding ourselves that improving the health and happiness of patients, that, that's the end goal. And whether it's empowering doctors with technology and governance or partnering with health systems to, uh, to improve alignment, all of that comes down to helping them help patients. And I think that's the perfect note to end on. But Sean, thank you so much for this insightful, thought-provoking conversation. It's great to have the discussion. I always enjoy it. And I'll catch up with you later. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to The Break Room today. You can find content by our guests, as well as many other physicians and healthcare industry thought leaders on Informed, the blog by Privia Health. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and blog to stay up to date on all things healthcare. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I will see you next time for another episode of The Break Room. So stay tuned 